Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional grade industrial supplies. Count on real time product availability and fast delivery. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Recorded live. Hello, this is Emmy. Rachel, are you there? Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi. Hi, this is Kate. Who's this? Hi, it's Emma. How are you? Hi, Emma. I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. Awesome. What's going on? <laughs> <laughs> is it just us? So far, I see Rachel, but she is not. I see her logged on, but I don't hear her yet. So I think she's probably trying to figure it out. Oh, okay. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I'm. I'm did actually, you log I on just, to your computer, or did you um? I call in with your phone. Yes, I called in with my phone, and I'm actually turning on my computer right now, and um, I'm going to see if I can maybe do it that way and switch over. Um, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> but yeah, the I think the directions they seems pretty clear for just calling in anyway. Um, hmm. okay. How's it been for you in this chat while we're waiting? Um, things have been good. I recently found out that Grant, um, I guess he's not colicky, but he's considered fussy. So 
Um, he doesn't sleep more than two hours a night, and he's going on four months. <laughs> it's been it's been it's been a little rough, but you know, <clears throat> other than wanting a little more sleep, I really can't complain. Things have been pretty cool. Um, business wise, I have a couple of potential clients. Um, I think I'm just a little. I posted something on the in the group. I was just a little concerned. Um, they're really more acquaintances than they are than they would be friends. But um, I think I'm just concerned with boundaries. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's where I'm kind of like, uh, do I want to? But at the same time, you know, I need to obviously have the three births within the nine months. So maybe I just need to bite the bullet and do it. Um, but yeah, so it's good. I've got the two potential clients. I'm trying to figure out what to do with that. And then um, mm-hmm. in order to start putting myself out there a little bit more, I've still just been working on, um, I haven't committed to anything for business cards, but I think that's really what I need to start talking to, to people I, I don't know, I guess. Okay. Uh, like if I was to go to a some type of support group, you know, and if they were to let me talk a little bit about what a doula is, and then obviously I'm going to have to give them contact info if they're interested. I probably need something professional mm-hmm, <laughs> mm-hmm. to put out yeah. there. So, so yeah, yeah. that's where I'm at. Okay, great. I see, Megan. I see a bunch of people here. Who's on the call? Oh, yay. Uh, Megan, I'm here. Sunny, I am here. Hi, I'm Marina. I'm here, too. <laughs> Hi, Marina. Hi, ladies. How are you? Hi. Christina's here as well. Hi, Christina. <laughs> there one more? Kate, Kate, Megan, Marina, Christina. Jenny. Jenny, hi. Hi. Jenny, hi. How are you guys? Good. Good. Who was just talking, by the way? That was Kate. Oh. That was me. Kate, okay. <laughs> so one thing that, um, as people just come on, one thing that we'll, we'll do as we're going through the call is if you want to, you know, when you want to share something or say something to say, say who's talking and, and will help us kind of know. Um, this is Emmy saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So I'm gonna just give it a couple more minutes. I see. I see. I see a few people trying to log on. Let me just write a note to Rachel. Um, let's check in while we're waiting for just a few more minutes for people to join us. I'd love to hear, um, you know, just briefly how everyone's doing after the training. If anyone feels, you know, wants to share anything about what it's been like since the training. Hello. Hi, Laura. Yes. Hello, everyone. Hello. Hi. Hold on, I'm just seeing Rachel's trying to talk, but we can't hear her. She's saying, let me see why. Oh, no. Can you guys hear me? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. 
Okay. Um, I was just saying, um, Laura, if anyone wanted to share and check in just about how they're feeling, how they're doing after the training, you can start there, spend a few minutes. I miss everybody. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I do have a question. I think it's Megan, by the way, speaking. Um, I think I'm more worried about, like, taxes. I know we'll talk more about it, like, the more we get into it and everything, but taxes have really been on my mind. Like, mm-hmm. Taxes are big. Yeah. The classes? Megan, did you say the classes? Sorry? Did you say the classes? No, taxes. T-A-X-E-S, taxes? Yes. Taxes, 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 sorry. Okay. Okay, we can talk a little bit about that. Um, You know, you can can file taxes as an independent contractor as a doula. Mm -hmm. Okay. So a lot of doulas file it that way. It's probably the most direct way, and you can use your Social Security number to do that. Okay. Um, You know, you can apply for a business name, and do a DBA, um, but, you know, that's, or you could apply for, at this stage, as you're growing, and, you you know, if you don't have a partnership or a business, it's not necessary to uh, become an LLC or something like that. Okay. okay. But I would would look into that and ask an accountant, um, you know, what your protected, what are your protections with a 1099 as an independent contractor, and, especially in conjunction with carrying doula insurance, okay? Yeah. So if there's a concern okay. around kind of like your liability or protection of self or any assets that you have, then, you know, ask an accountant about that and okay. show them what the insurance covers and how much it covers. Okay. Thank yeah. you. Filing for your DBA is really easy. It was, like, I thought it was so complicated for forever, and then when I finally went in to do it, it took me, like, five minutes, and the woman was so nice. You go to your, oh. you can go to your county clerk office. Okay. Um, and just say, I want to file for a DBA, and they'll have you look up on a database system for, like, if whatever name you're going to be filing under. If it's okay. used already. Um, so just have you look it up, and if it's available, you can just write it on the form. The form is like one page. Um, like what do you mean? Or like, sorry, say that again. Like, what? What do you mean by the name that I'll be falling under? So if you're like gonna use like uh, Enchanted Birth Doula or oh, something, okay. like whatever your business name that you want to be like working under or it could just be like your name doula like whatever you decide that you want to do it's just um they'll see if it's already filed under your state as in in your name that's used that's all oh okay all right um because then i was able to take i was able to take my dba and go to my bank and open up a business account um so people could be like paying into my like business account and i was able to um, any any expenses that I would be like paying for, I would just use my debit card for like my business account. So you would like track really easily of like what I was spending through the one account. Okay. <laughs> hey, can you guys hear me now? Yeah. 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 Yes. Oh. Hi, Rachel. <laughs> so the laptop doesn't work. We now know. 
Okay. Does that help you, Megan? Yes, yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. Thanks, Laura. Um, overwhelmed by all the business stuff in general. Like, I feel like I need to have everything figured out. Yeah, me too. Before I get clients, and I, I just, yeah, I just feel kind of lost and overwhelmed. <laughs> mm-hmm. who, who said that? Okay. Rebecca. Rebecca, hi. Hi. Um, hi. <coughs> yeah, so, you know, the main thing is to not let that be an obstacle right now. You can absolutely start attending birth without a website, without a card, with a card. Um, you can. I mean, is it beneficial to have a contract? Absolutely. But in the meantime, you can use a very basic template as a contract, as an agreement. Okay. So don't feel like, recognize that you're beginning to say something where you end up in the end of the nine months versus where you are now is will, will have evolved. And, you know, you really, you don't need to operate with a name right now. It can just, it's just getting out there and, and meeting the clients mm-hmm. and starting to, to chip away at the requirements. Okay. Very okay. true. And just so figure out like a basic intake form because that obviously will be important for working. Mm-hmm. Okay. Is uh, is Chazelle on? Okay. Um, and other Rebecca, Rebecca number number two that we left. <laughs> okay, just checking. Um, I can see people on, but I don't see names or anything like that. Um, anybody else want to check in? about how they're doing or kind of it's it, Rachel um, I'm kind of in the opposite spot as everybody else I've been putting tons of time into the business stuff partially I guess because I feel like that's what I can actually work on while I'm still just starting to like get to know people in the area mm-hmm. but I mean like I'm starting to make headway on that um I have a meeting. I'm actually getting together with another doula in the area for coffee later today. And then I have a meeting with this, like, doula group that has all these classes next Thursday. Um, And I just got another lead for – there's actually, like, a medical practice here that recommends all their clients have doulas. And I have an interview. So it's like I'm starting to – I'm feeling like I'm starting to make headway. People out here, which feels really good. Great, that's wonderful. Yeah, and that makes sense, right? Because you've gone to several births, you've gotten your, you know, you've been, you've been working with families, and you're, you know, you're that sort of like level of comfort is 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 reassuring in that way that you can take those steps and feel ready for them. It's great. It's great. Anybody else? Does it feel like it was like it was far away? Like it happened so long ago? <laughs> yeah, I do. It's Megan, by the way. Yes, I do. I feel like it's like so long ago that we were up. That I mean, I was up there that the classes were. How was your reunion with your son? Oh, it was amazing. 
Aww. I cried when I saw him. He like didn't even act like he didn't even miss me at all. <laughs> well, it was good. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Well, I um. I posted the call sheet on our page and, um, you know, so the dates and the times and the topics will be there for you guys to reference so you know what's coming up. And we made that switch to talk about induction this time and then the book review is for Mm -hmm. next time. And, um, you know, part of why I I wanted to start with induction as a teleclass is just preparing you for what may come in your birth experiences when you're working with clients in the hospital. It may not, um, but it's definitely important information, I think, to feel more prepared, and some of it's just getting um, accustomed to the language even that's used around induction and having a sense of kind of like, okay, I know how I, I, can, I can navigate some of these terms, and when my client calls and asks me, I have a better sense of, you know, what that means. Um, and then if you haven't gotten the um, Optimal Care and Childbirth book yet, um, that book is great for what we'll, be, what we'll be talking about today because you can look up topics by, you know, by chapter and one of them is, you know, is on induction and we'll cover the evidence-based information on this topic as well. So that's really helpful. Your clients ask you more specific questions. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to just open up the conversation with has, has anyone experienced induction? Do you, you know, have you been to an induction or were you induced yourself? Um, and what do you know? What do you know what comes up when we say that word? What are some thoughts that even come up when I say that word? Even if you haven't. At least I guess I should say that too. This is uh, I, I haven't been. I was not induced. Um, but from what I understand, when you are induced, isn't like that kind of can start the um, the whole cascade of interventions and you have, um, I have 50% higher risk in my head for some reason. I don't know if that's correct. Um, if you're induced, 50% higher risk of C-section, is it? Mm-hmm. Or just a higher risk in general. Is That's mm-hmm. what my understanding is. I'm not sure for sure. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Definitely that idea, though, that it's like a, it's the catalyst for meaning, you know, for more. That once right. you once you're in an induction, that it may mean more is coming, which which is it's right. true. Yeah, yeah. They they put you on a timeline, and then it's kind of until you know the baby is out, like it kind of starts the um, okay things aren't happening fast enough. You know, we got to try this now. We have to try this, and and on and on. Um, they start with the pitocin, and then I forget what the other thing is. So then that speeds things up, which can be um, the contractions can be more painful than. Uh, just a natural, um, naturally brought on contraction, and then they have to slow things down with another drug, and it just continues on and on like that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's that's what that's all I know. <laughs> that's what my understanding is of when when you are induced. But mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, right. Rachel. I I have actually been attending an induction. My clients walk, and then like you know, several hours, well, I say several hours, I mean like 30-something hours later, her labor hadn't picked up. And I guess the main thing I took away from it is even though you're agreeing to an induction, you always have options. Um, The midwife was really great in, like, coming in and being like, okay, here's all your options. Let's talk through it. Like, what are you comfortable with? And 
that like that's what stuck with me is that just because you need an induction does not mean your options start there. Like mm-hmm. stop there. Because mm-hmm. it right. can, it can seem scary. It can seem like you know because you need the medicine to start it. Like then you have no say, and that's not the case. Mm-hmm. Yep. This is yeah. funny. I also wonder too. I thought I had heard that sometimes induction may not work. Is that? <coughs> Shani, I'm sorry. I couldn't hear you for some reason. It was. It was. I. I. I was just um, trying to figure out. So sometimes induction not work. Yeah. I feel like I've heard that before. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. Yes, that is true. That is true. So. So we've covered that things can be stronger, right? It can feel more painful. It can lead to more intervention. It cannot work. It can make somebody feel like they're kind of being controlled or the fear and anxiety aspect comes up for clients around induction. Um, So I want to frame the conversation around induction through the lens of doula work and through the lens of um, questioning what managed care looks like from, from the point of view of, uh, managed support. So when you're working with a client and they, there's a topic that comes up, right, and maybe, uh, you know, early on if they're high risk, um, that their care provider was already saying, you know, we're going to be talking about induction if, you know, there's a likelihood we'll be talking about induction at 38 and they're only 30 weeks pregnant or something like that. Or if they're 39 weeks and they're having this conversation every time they go in and they're saying, you know, we'll give you another few days, but, yes, we're going to be inducing on, you know, in the next, in next week. We're not going to let you go to 40 weeks. So a lot of it is around language. We're not going to let you. You're not allowed to. This is what we're going to do to your body, basically, right? Versus as the doula, really talking to your clients about, okay, here's, here's the topic that's up. Here's the conversation and the concern. Let's take a look at it together so I can give you the information that you need to make the best decision. So what is the evidence, you know, behind whatever the, the concern may be? If it's a big baby or low fluids or um, post-dates or, you know, how can you help your client first and foremost get great information, research, um, so that they can then have those conversations with their care providers and question, is this ne- medically necessary with them? Help them navigate that piece of it. Because so much around induction is what happens before they ever go into the induction, right? So mm-hmm. one of our greatest tools for induction is, is patience and waiting. And especially if there's not a medically indicated reason for it. So talking to your client about deciphering around managed care versus medically indicated emergency situations that, you know, require intervention versus their personal choices. There may be no medical indication, and yet they're ready and they want to be induced, which is absolutely legitimate as well, supporting them in that. Um, But helping them break it down. So once again, we're always driving the focus that this isn't really about the doula. It's really about the mother, and it's really about her own experience. It's about the birthing individual's choice. Kind of starting there, um, does that does, does that change a little bit about how to approach it from the beginning of the conversation, and then we're going to get into the actual medications. But I just want to hear your thoughts on that piece. 
I just wonder specifically about, and I don't know what medical reasons might be given or quote-unquote medical reasons. This is Rebecca. Um, but I know, like, my neighbor down the road was induced and ended up with a C-section. Um, she had gestational diabetes. The doctors were telling mm -hmm. her the baby's probably too big. So, that, mm -hmm. so that's why they induced her, I don't know, maybe two weeks or one week before her due date. So where does that fall in terms of it certainly sounds like it's medically indicated, at least how the doctors present it. Yeah, so there's some great articles and research about um, about Big Baby, right, and and the medical um, research behind is it true or not? Because we know there's a, there's a varying degree of truth for for an ultrasound, right. one to two pounds mm -hmm. on either side of the ultrasound, right? So measuring a baby is not always accurate. Um, so sometimes it's just helping them see that that's part of it. And again, right, you would share that information, and Evidence-Based Birth has a great article that I can post to the group. Um, you share that information and then see, you know, what, what the, your client, how your client feels about it. Maybe it helps boost their confidence to say, you know what, I really don't think this baby's nine and a half pounds, and I have the confidence I can push out a big baby. You know, my friend pushed out a 10-pound baby. I can push out a nine-pound baby, whatever it is for them. Mm-hmm. You know, or there's more fear that comes up. Maybe you have to shift your support as a doula to address more of the emotional support needed. You know, meet her, meet her where she's at on that level. So, you know, doing some some visualizations, some kind of anxiety, you know, release, fear release work, may help her. Okay, thanks. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. One thing that I see um, that I think that I think happens with induction too is for doulas there's there's a tendency to come to the induction once the induction starts um, or once the induction um, the labor starts from the induction versus being there with them from the very beginning and I, I've noticed it makes a really big difference for most clients for the doula to be there to support them in that transition early on versus they go, they're kind of set up with the medication or whatever the procedures are going to be, and then seven, eight hours into it, they call you because the Pitocin is so strong and they're totally, you know, having a hard time coping and they're scared and it's already you've walked into that scene versus being with them from the beginning. And again, it kind of breaks through this idea that we're not there to support the managed care of this labor experience where they're for emotional support as well as right. physical support. And that when we, and we represent that, we represent an ally for them, we represent that unconditional support. So when we're there early on before anything happens to the body or the medicine or anything like that, there's a different, there's a different energy that I found also, um, you know, kind of shapes the experience for the care providers as well as the clients. Like, oh, she's still here, even though, quote, unquote, nothing's happening. And as doulas, you know, I would definitely pad, pad yourself around thinking this may take longer than other vaginal unmedicated births at times because an induction could easily take two to three days in the hospital. You know, sometimes it is 24 hours before things are really shifting. And so there's a whole lot of not much happening until that change happens. 
especially if they're slowing down the actual process of induction and making slower choices. Um, and we'll talk about those, but that's kind of another way of, of approaching it. And so that may look more like a lot of back and forth. You know, you help them kind of get settled, get the room set up, get them, you know, adjusted. And then maybe you do go home for the night and sleep. And then they call you in the morning to check back in. You know, that's pretty typical. And totally fine to do, um, especially if labor isn't really kicking in yet. So um, sometimes when there's an induction, I, I, I really pull my back up in closer because I'm thinking, okay, this may be a longer road. Right. Um, if there's, sorry, this is Megan. Um, if there is an in, uh, like induction being talked about, is there any way, like, I know that there's, I think we talked about it a little bit in class, but um, is there any way that they can, like, ask for maybe a smaller dose of, like, the Pitocin or something just to, yeah. I guess just to, you know, obviously move things along, but not as fast? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Is there a way you can talk to your client about that? Just be like, okay, I know we're talking about this right now, but is there, you know, I mean, like. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so let's take a look at what the medications are and kind of how, you know, there's, there's a sort of, you know, there's a standard uh, protocol for how inductions take place. And, you know, it usually starts with sleeping the membranes, which we've talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, that's That may be the beginning you know, where they do that in the office, and then they see if contractions start with that. And, you know, with that comes the risk of prematurely rupturing the membranes, ProRom, which changes the situation for the mother, for the baby, for the sterile field of the amniotic fluid now releasing. All of that may, you know, impact other decision-making. So that's kind of the first Mm -hmm. step, right, is sweeping the membranes. And sometimes that happens without the client even knowing that they did that during a vaginal exam. Okay, um, and that's kind of removing those outer layers of the amniotic sac through the cervix. Mm-hmm. You know, fingers have to be massaging in the cervix and, you know, starting to slowly peel away, okay? Um, and the idea is there's more pressure than, on, you know, on the cervix, and hopefully that will be the catalyst for, for labor, and sometimes it is. Um, and then, you know, the next, typical step is, and of course, every care provider is going to do this differently, but usually it's cervidil. And cervidil is an artificial prostaglandin. And it is usually, it looks like it's on a small tampon with a string. The medication is is there. And it's inserted into the cervix. It's usually done at night. So usually your client will be admitted. And I I would go. I would go with my clients, 8 p.m., 9 p.m., help them get settled have, you know, help them get set up with the HEPLOC, get monitored, all the things, and then they would administer the the Cervidil into the cervix. And then usually she has to, you know, be fairly still for an hour to two two hours usually. Uh, You can't get up and walk and be vertical. They want the medication to absorb into the body. And then she'll sleep for the night. And sometimes, I think 25% of women do go into labor with Cervidil, uh, it's not that common, but it can happen. And so labor may start just from the cervidil. And a few hours later, active labor could kick in, 
and her contractions have their own normal regular pattern. That's one, you know, one option. Um, Cervidil lasts for about 12 hours and is given in 12-hour doses. So they'll do the Cervidil and then they'll wait 12 hours and then they may do it again. And yes, it can start labor and be a catalyst for contractions, but what they're looking to do is ripen the cervix, soften the actual tissue of the cervix. Okay, and remember we talked about natural prostaglandins are found in sperm, so that's why making love or even swallowing or getting sperm in your body in any way at the end of pregnancy can actually ripen the cervix. Okay, other ways to do it naturally are using primrose oil. can be mm-hmm. taken orally or inserted vaginally. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of stage one, right? Let's see what happens with that. And then sometimes nothing happens. So then what? Well, maybe now the cervix is softer and maybe even dilating a little bit. One possible next step that's less invasive is a Foley catheter balloon. And so that is, um, it is a small device balloon that is inserted into the cervix. And the cervix has to be one to two centimeters dilated for it to apply. And there are three tubes that come out of the balloon that usually get taped on to her thigh, the thigh. And then fluid is injected and usually saline into the balloon. And what happens is it starts to manually, slowly dilate the cervix. Um, And the benefits are that there's no medication, no additional medication. You can do a Foley catheter without cervical also. Um, It um, allows your client to maintain mobility, to walk, to get in the shower, to squat, to get on the birth ball. You can do a lot with a Foley catheter balloon. It still feels like something's there, but from what my understanding from working with clients and, and using it is it's not that painful. It's just uncomfortable, and you feel something there. Um, and then if it really starts to work and it starts to start to dilate and work with the natural support that you would be providing to get labor going, you know, um, the cervix can dilate four to five centimeters, which at that point the Foley catheter balloon just falls out on its own. But then the cervix is, is starting to enter active labor. Okay. Usually that option isn't really given it's not. It, it, it's some hospitals it's used frequently, and others it's a brand new idea. And my experience has been, I've had nurses from other floors have to come in to do it because L&D nurses didn't know how to insert it. And so it, it really varies hospital to hospital. I don't know what it will be like in your community, but it's definitely worth talking to your client about as an option, and then them asking their care provider about. You know, to find out more about it. Any questions about the Foley catheter or when you would use it or or the Cervidil? Are there any serious risks to the Cervidil, like to mom or baby, that we should probably know about? I mean, obviously, you could do your own research and stuff, but just... Yeah. So, I mean, with every medication, there are risks. Yeah. You know, how will the baby respond? How will the mom respond? How will the cervix respond? Mm-hmm. And also, if the membranes have ruptured, 
right, there may be a higher risk for infection for putting anything into the vagina and cervix. So, you know, things like if you had to do two or three or four rounds of Cervidil, well, that's a lot, right? And chance of infection and fever may go up at that point. Um And so then, you know, after that, really, the next, there's only a couple of other options. One is um, Cytotec, which is commonly used, and that's a tablet that's inserted into the vagina that, you know, will bring on stronger contractions and is not approved by the FDA for pregnancy and is contraindicated for pregnancy, but is commonly used medication in, on, you know, L&D floors all the time. So, again, getting the good research in your client's hands so they know what Cytotec is. It is, um, you know, I know we talked a little bit about it, but it is, it's cheap. You don't have to refrigerate Cytotec. Uh, you know, it's, it's a go-to for those reasons. This other medication, like Cervidil, is a lot more expensive. So usually Cytotec is one of the first things that will be suggested. But Cervidil okay. overall. Yeah, and carries greater risk. So this is so important. You need your client should have all of this information. should all be very clear with parents. Um, sometimes the Cytotec, it, it's effective, and other times it's not. Sometimes it's incredibly, you know, painful contractions and very strong, and other times it has no effect. But when you're re-inserting um, any medication, think about what's happening to the body and the baby, right? Your client needs to think about that, so especially with long inductions. That's one of the concerns. So if you're with somebody for 48 hours or 70-something hours and they've had round after round after round after round, they're also their risk for hemorrhage, their risk for um, hyper, hyper, um, what's the, the, Marina, what's the term when the uterus is exhausted? Hypertensive uterus? Hyper-stimulated? Hyper-stimulated uterus. Yeah. So, you know, if the uterus has had cytotec over and over and over and is having these very strong contractions, that's a concern, and that can lead to hemorrhage post-baby post right after the birth or uterine rupture. Um, so these are all things to, you know, to, to make sure your clients know about too. Um, and then the other, the other piece is Pitocin, right? I mean, this is sort of like what we, what we hear about the most. And so Pitocin can be started at very low doses um, in conjunction with everything I just mentioned. It can be, it could be that cascade where we started with feeding the membranes, then we went to Cervidil, once we fully catheter, then we tried Cytotec, and now we're on to Pitocin, you know? Or it could just be straight to Pitocin. Um, Pitocin, when someone is not contracting at all, is quite the rise. So if someone's starting with an induction and they're not ripe, their cervix isn't soft, it's not ripe, it's not dilated, but the Pitocin, you know, and administered, it takes quite a lot to go from nothing to, to full-blown labor. And it is much more intense. And if you can visualize that kind of, like, rolling mountaintop, it's not like that. It's like a sharp triangle peak. <laughs> it spikes earlier on, and it doesn't, it doesn't have that buildup as, as other contractions do. It does. And I'm mentioning that because from the doula's perspective, if you're working with someone with the chosen, you're going to want to support them early on in the contraction and make sure they're super hydrated. 
So it will incrementally be increased by 2 milliliters about every 20 to 30 minutes, sometimes 1 ml. They'll come in and they'll go tick, tick, tick onto the machine, and a little bit more Pitocin will drip into an IV. It's through the IV. So, you know, you don't really know where you're heading. You're supporting as you go along. And sometimes all that's needed is a very low dose, like Megan has said. Well, what if you just, you know, give a small dose? That's true. Sometimes it's only three or four mLs, and that's all all that was needed, and the Pitocin is actually shut off. Mm-hmm. And the client goes on, and again, still has mobility, still can get in the shower. With, maybe they wrap the arm in plastic, still can, you know, walk, get on the birth ball, dance, do all these things. And again, our idea is how do we maintain normal labor and support this process um, without while medication is still being used, you know? The two can go hand in hand. We can still do the music and the low lights and the candles and aromatherapy and hydrotherapy and all visualization and all those things to really help with support. Um, so Pitocin can be shut off, and when it is shut off, it will leave the system. So that's one of the pluses. It's very controllable. It has a shorter shelf life, whereas mm-hmm. something like Cytotec or Cervidil, you can't control. Once it is absorbed into the body, and into the bloodstream, you don't know how the body or baby will react. Pitocin is a more controllable. Um, but if you're using it for very long amounts of time, then um, that other concern of hyper sensitivity and, and, and hyper use of the um, uterus is a real issue. Mm-hmm. Um, used or, or any of these be used if a if a parent is already dilated, let's say, I don't know, halfway or something like I'm thinking of a friend. Absolutely. Okay. So it can, so you're, if they stall and they stop progressing, these can be used to keep things going? Yes. More so than the Pitocin. Not Cervidil as much. If the, if the cervix is already starting to dilate, they won't, you can't, it won't, it won't really work once the cervix is too dilated. Okay. Um, but Pitocin, absolutely. So failure to progress, those are the terms you'll hear. Slow to start, you know, slow to progress, failure to progress, stuck, you know, um, if things are taking too long, if the membranes have ruptured, but there's really not a strong enough pattern of contractions, they'll, you know, they'll want to consider Pitocin. Um, or that will be presented. Versus an epidural, because I feel like I hear about epidurals being used a lot to just relax. Mm-hmm. That does it. I, I'd love to hear yeah. that. Right. So sometimes, you know, if somebody gets an epidural um, or somebody has, has Pitocin first but then is having a really hard time struggling because it's more painful, more intense contraction, they'll move on to the epidural and continue the use of the Pitocin with the epidural. So, yes, the epidural now has numbed the pain, but the Pitocin is keeping the uterus contracting. Okay, and Pitocin is artificial oxytocin. You'll see on the bag it actually says oxytocin. Um, one usually be used before the other? No, nah, it depends on the situation. Sometimes it's Pitocin first, or sometimes it's epidural first, but then labor has really sl- slowed slowed down, and then they use Pitocin with the epidural. And, is, and mm-hmm. that's still preferable, I would assume, to a, a C-section. Well, so right. So those are sort of, so here we are now. It's like we've kind of lead cascaded into a different space, right? And we have all these new roads to choose from. So do we want to choose, you know, do you, you're, you're talking to your client. You can say on one hand, you can continue with Pitocin and with the epidural. You can starting to feel really intense and maybe an epidural could support you with the pain coping. 
and lead to a vaginal birth. Or, you know, with these risks of Pitocin or Cytotex increasing the stress of the baby, you know, um, the mother, fever, infection, all of the things that can go on as the, as for the list of risks uh, that may increase your risk to, to a cesarean outcome. So sometimes it kind of you get to a point in this decision-making process where you're helping someone decide do they want a vaginal birth or are they to, is at this point getting a cesarean what feels more supportive or maybe it's medically necessary and there's no real option there because the outcome hasn't turned out well and the baby's in distress or the baby, you know, the mother is not doing well. Or, so it depends on kind of how it plays out. And that's part of the conversation, too, is you don't know how it plays out when you make these decisions. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but everything I just mentioned, this could all, sometimes, they're wanting to start Pitocin at 9 p.m. on that Tuesday night, and we haven't done anything. We've just stayed, we want to, you know, spend the night just seeing if we can settle in and be monitored. Okay, so the concern is big babies, but I'm starting to have contractions, and maybe if my doula's here and I get in the shower and we do nipple skin and I'm picking my red raspberry tea, I had sex last night and I have this, you know, natural prostaglandins in me. I'm doing visualizations to help open. I'm walking. I'm relaxing. Maybe I'm, I'm here for an induction, but I'm going to be monitored. I'm going to see what happens for me in the night, and maybe in the morning I'll start deciding if I'm ready for the fully open or the Pitocin in the morning or the Cervidil. But I'm not quite ready. I'm here for the induction, not quite ready. That's another way to think about it to talk about induction with your client, especially if it's not a medically necessary induction and they're not sure, I should really phrase it that way. If the client's not sure, then, okay, can you support more time? Can you build out more time and more patience in this process? If they're at the hospital, they're being monitored, right? If that's the concern. And it takes it takes some more advocating, definitely. Hello, you guys. Sorry. Hello. Hi, it's Trizel. Sorry, I thought the dentist was going to be done by the time I had to get on the call. Hi. How are you good ladies doing? Good. How are you? I'm fine, thank you. Was the dentist able to help you? Yeah, I got a feeling. Oh, thank God. I'm glad you're feeling better. I know that was really hurting. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Um, I'm outside. Is that a problem? What did you say? No, I was saying I'm outside. I I don't know if you guys can hear the calls and stuff. I didn't know that was going to be a problem. It sounds okay to me. If it gets to be really noisy, you can always mute yourself but still listen in. And then when you want okay. to cast, just unmute. We're we're just okay. going through the whole. Um, we're just going through the induction process. Okay. About medications used in induction, and the call is recorded, so um, you'll be able to listen to it. Okay. Okay. Any any questions um, about anything so far? What are you thinking about? What does it make you feel like you have a better sense of some of the language, some of the, the use of the medications? This is Christina. Um, one thing I've been thinking about is it just seems like a lot of women I've been talking to lately, um, induction doesn't sound bad to them, and I'm just 
curious when you've had clients, um, do you ever try and say, persuade them not to be induced? Or how do you nicely say that you don't think it's a good idea? Or say it without, I mean, they're not like super, the women I want to, like, they're t- talking to, they're not, you know, really wanting to be induced, but they're like, oh, that doesn't sound bad. So how do you, like, nicely say that? Mm-hmm. You know, I talk about I talk about the research. I talk about the risks. And, 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 yes, I hear what they're saying to talk about. Um, I acknowledge their feelings and their opinions and all, you know, there. Like, I'd say, ultimately, it's your birth, but I want you to think about the whole picture. Postpartum recovery with a cesarean is really difficult and very different than a vaginal recovery. And, you know, I mean, we know the statistics are four times more likely to die in a cesarean than a vaginal birth. That's real. And I just heard somebody talk about, you know, ask them, do you think you want to have a bigger family? Do you want more children? You know, what does that look like for you? Think about your long-term pelvic floor. Think about your long-term health, uh, reproductive health, your bladder. I mean, these are all things to consider that often we don't um, know about. And so I really provide a lot of information. We have some great, you know, cesarean resources. ICANN is International Cesarean Awareness Network. Um, and there are some amazing resources that are very firm in talking about the real risks, but also not judging, you know, because it's a very compassionate organization because it's made up primarily of, of, of people that have had cesarean births. So I think education is just very important. And then, of course, you're falling back on having a non-judgmental tone, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't know if anyone, Laura, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, when, I, when I'm faced with, if there's some, somebody talking about something, um, when I know that there's really good research, what I do instead of, I, I try to be really non-confrontational and try to, you know, put things across in a very unbiased way. So, Usually I'll say, like, I have some really good research or here's a link for this. Like, take a, take a good look over it and then let's, reach, let's talk about it. So I, let them, I give them the information, like the unbiased, like evidence-based birth is such a good resource for a lot of this stuff where I can give them information um, to think about because they could be asking me, I, a lot of times they say, well, what, what do you think? And I say, well, it doesn't matter what I think because I have my own personal views on it, but... I can give you the information and you can read about it and then, you know, bring me your questions then once you feel like you have a good understanding. Um, because, I don't know, I just try and give it in a way that's not biased. Because I know, like, I can say, like, yeah, I don't think it's a good idea, but what information is that giving them other than they think that I don't think it's a good idea? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, you know, instead of, it can also be an entry point for just a larger conversation about how important it is to make informed decisions and having the information. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, sometimes it becomes less about the cesarean birth and more about the way we've learned to talk about birth, the way people are educated about birth and have access to real, real evidence-based information. So the conversation can feel a little more neutralized and become more about that versus her decision to have the cesarean and why would you do that, you know? Uh Right. Right. Yeah, thank you. 
I do find, I, I just did this with a client. Um, it's really, sometimes it can be scary for clients to talk about C-section during prenatals. They're like, well, I'm not planning to have a C-section. Like, I'm, I want to learn all this stuff, like how to not have a C-section. But I, I really encourage clients to go there. That they, like, if, if this does happen or if we do get to this point, won't it be better to talk about it now and talk about our options now so that, you know, let's talk about all the avenues of birth and how all those avenues are still birth and you're still going to have to make decisions. Um, so, and that opens up the door to talk about cesarean. It opens up the door to talk about induction um, when I say, when I phrase it like that. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And so all of these, you know, these are definitely conversations you're having in a prenatal with people when when they're asking about options, you know. Mm-hmm. So being really familiar with, with how to help someone navigate is, is definitely part of our job and um, kind of paint, painting that picture that, yes, it's true, one can lead to another in this process, but you also have your choices and you have your voice and you have your, your own decision-making here as well. Um, you know, and you're going to talk about slow duel and you're going to talk about how to advocate in those moments and all of that comes in. It's all connected, right? Mm-hmm. Sure. The way decisions are made and the way the client is perceived too as the decision maker or not. So, um, and then, you know, even before that, talking about all the, the natural remedies and all the herbs and all the other ways that, you know, you can help the body prepare for induction. So I mentioned even primrose oil, which would be something they would check in with a care provider or midwife about in terms of dosage. Um, that can be given, you know, orally or vaginally. Um, red raspberry tea, you know, I used to have like an end of pregnancy mix that I used to give my clients that I loved to give because it was supportive and it was easy and it was a nice way to, you know, to, to talk about that too, how to support your body at the end of pregnancy. Um, dancing, acupressure, acupuncture, you know, even if there's no real kind of like I have to get this baby out before next week kind of push. Acupuncture is a wonderful way to support the body and, again, mm-hmm. kind of help help prepare in a natural way for, for labor. Um, normal way, I should say, you know, just unmedicated. Um, so there's a nipple stimulation. There's so many things that, that they can do that are really more about self-care and prepping the body than mm-hmm. the... I'm going to fall again into that managed managed mindset. I feel is so pervasive when we get mm-hmm. to the end of pregnancy, almost always, even with home birth. You know, it's, it's it's pretty across the scope that okay, you're 41 weeks, you're 42 weeks. What are we going to do? You know, right? Having the conversation about managed care versus expectant care, like mm-hmm. just like just waiting. Um, it's a really good conversation to have, towards, especially towards the end of pregnancy. Yep. This is Jenny. Can somebody talk a little bit about expecting care versus managed care? Just like a little brief. Yeah, so I, unless you want to say something about it, I may. Um, oh, go ahead. So, so, you know, managed care is 
kind of kind of like we were saying, like you're 41 weeks, we have to, you know, induce. Like managed care is, you know, let's do something right now to reach like the end goal versus expect like expectant care is like instead of inducing, it's well, why don't we do a biophysical profile? Because that just shows that we're, you know, we we do um, these things to t- like make sure that we check to see if things are going great. And if things are going great, then that's then the option is to wait. Um, so it's it's like it's still like doing things both ways, but you know, managed care is to you know do something you know, right away and expecting care is to, you know, wait and see, you know, obviously doing things up until then to, um, you know, a lot of people, so a, a biophysical profile um, towards the end of pregnancy is just um, an ultrasound that measures, I think it's like eight different aspects um, and they'll get a score. And after a biophysical profile, you're cleared for like, what is it? two days, three days, um, that usually that test is good for that amount of time. Um, so, yeah, I think that unless, I mean, you have something else to say about managing expectant. So it's basically waiting versus doing. Yeah. Yeah, so there's, um, I'm glad you brought up biophysical profile because I think it, it, it's actually really, really important for clients to know this. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, that, 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 that ultrasound evaluation will, um, will have a score. And if the baby scores, I can't remember what it is, but it's like over six or seven, then they're, they're doing great. If they're like under five, then, you know, they're going to probably say, okay, the fluids are low, the baby's not, not, you know, not looking, you know as well. And so let's lean towards them to either do a cesarean or do something. The other thing that's possible is a non-stress test, um, which is often done uh, prior to a biophysical profile and is, right. is similar, but is like sometimes care providers will do non-stress tests for the client every two days in the last from 40 weeks on or 39 weeks on. They're going in every two or three days for a non-stress test. And then maybe they do a biophysical profile to get more information. Yes, it kind of does buy a few days here and there. Or, you know, you could say, listen, I was just in on Tuesday. I don't want to come in for another non-stress. I just want to be home to see if I can actually go into labor on my own. I'm going to skip Thursday, but I'll come in next Monday. Often clients will say stuff like that. And, you know, they'll they'll call to ask questions like that. Do I have to go to this non-stress test? What do you think? You know, and you have Mm -hmm. to ask them. I mean, of course, you can't make that decision for them, but it's just checking back with them, you know, what feels right. You know, very very often it's it's just a matter of time, and then right. is the EDD accurate? Right, it's true. Estimated, that is true. Estimated due date. So yeah, your client saying, "Listen, I know I conceived on this day, and mm-hmm. I'm really I'm really only 37 weeks. I'm not 39 weeks." <laughs> you know, and so that's another that's another component is um, talking about. Uh, do they know? Do they have a sense of that? You know, are they concerned that they are being, you know, that the doctor or care provider midwife thinks their estimated due date is a date that they don't agree with? That can come up too in this conversation. So, um, yeah, a lot, lot, a lot goes into it. 
Any any questions or anything else? Does anyone want to check in about anything else while we have a few more minutes? Is there anything going on for them right now? I'm not part of the phone, but we're here together. <laughs> so this is um Christina. So I, I posted on the um the page that I had someone interested, and I'm just wondering when you think is a good time to follow up with her if I don't hear anything. Like, should I wait a week? Should I wait, like, three days? She's due January 10th, so it's coming up kind of soon, so I don't want to, like, pressure her, but I don't want to. Um, I mean, if she does want to, I don't want to wait too long because I get a prenatal then. Of course. Sorry. <laughs> when did you meet with her? Um, Yesterday I met her. And that's when she um, asked for my number and asked my price and stuff. And so I was just wondering when's a good, a good follow-up time. So she's, she's 35 weeks now. Okay. So I would, yeah, I would write to her today. I would write to her today and just say, it was so lovely meeting you. You know, please let me know if you'd like to work together. If so, we would, you know, move forward and set up our prenatal since, you know, you're 35 weeks. And I would be honored, you know, to be to be with you. And please let me know if you feel, you know, you're interested in working together. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah, and if you know, if you don't want to say you'd be honored to, you know, if you just want to keep it a little like less, I, I don't know more. Just you could just say, "Look, this is so nice to meet you," and please let me know if you have any other questions. You know, I'm here. Um, it's exciting. How did how did it, how did it feel for it just to kind of have interest and be talking and how did it go? It uh, it was really exciting. Even if she doesn't, you know, hire me, it was just it felt good to to start connecting and say, realize, okay, this is how this is how it'll go a little bit. So it was it was fun. It was fun. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Great. This is Shani. I figure I'll just tell you guys a little something. Um, that was interesting. I got a phone call from um, my brother's ex. They have two kids together, and she's pregnant with her um, her new partner. And so, I mean, of course, for me, I was like, it was an interesting reaction that I had because it was like in three breaths, I had um, like a moment where I was so insanely excited for her when I breathed in. I breathed out and I remembered about kind of what my situation was and what happened um, with my pregnancy. And then my immediate next breath was, can I be a doula? Um, So it was a really, uh, it was a really interesting 
reaction for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but the doula thing is really, it's pretty exciting. It feels like it's putting like a positive spin, you know, on, mm-hmm. on what I have going on. So mm. that's great. It's feeling, I'm it's feeling like you're moving in the right direction for yourself. Yeah. But I'll tell you, like, my my experience with, um, it, like, talking about this kind of stuff, the induction, it gets me a little bit nervous about my lack of knowledge surrounding childbirth in general. So I feel like I need, before I can even work with clients, I would need to educate myself more about that stuff. You mean it just feels more like... It feels more like um, like the medical side of things, or if you don't know it correctly, or yeah, like I just don't have enough information. But I wouldn't be able to necessarily do a lot of education because I don't, you know, have that background. Uh-huh. Yeah. So you know, reviewing some of this um, and reading, you know, reading optimal care is such a wonderful book to really mm-hmm. kind of go further into it. But, you know, a lot of this you're going to learn as you go. I mean, yeah. I, you know, again, I, re- I, didn't know, I didn't know any of this starting out for a long time. It was just I started to learn by witnessing, by watching how Pitocin works, how different mm-hmm. bodies respond to different amounts of medication, how different bodies respond to Cervidil differently, how different care providers approach it, speak about it. it it's all really... It's one of the most interesting aspects of doula work is that every time is so different and you get to learn so much each time, you know, every time. I don't think that ever ends, which I love about this work. is It's so humbling to know every birth is, is really an honor to be at, and it's, it's the work of that person, not our work in that way. It's, it's their work. It's their work, and we get to support that and be there and learn in it, you know, learn in the space. But it will come with more, just more seeing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, it's and so go ahead. Uh, it's definitely a, you know, when you first start, you don't, you don't know everything and it's okay to say, if somebody asks you a question and you don't know, it's totally okay to say, I don't know, but you know what? Totally. I'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, but not. If the things that you feel like you don't know, you know, that's why, you know, DCI is such a good resource when you, you know, somebody asks you a question. I remember, I think it was the very first birth I ever went to that I was like, I don't know what this is. And I was calling and texting MA, like, throughout the birth, saying, like, oh, what is, what is this? I don't know what it is. Like, and you, you know that there's people that you can call to say, oh, what's this term? I'm not sure. Like, what's the be able to link for me to like brush up real quick or you know birth birth is forgiving enough and slow enough in most cases to like kind of learn as you go um and what really helped me in the beginning was to know you know when when you're i remember reading in the birth partner um that you know whatever study it was that was done that they found even if somebody was in the room even if they weren't even interacting with the client, they didn't say a single word to that client, there was still significant better outcomes by having a doula just sitting in the corner of the room saying nothing. 
So I think that gave me confidence to go because I remember the first degree at first. I was like, I don't know, like I don't know enough. I can't do this. And then I found out that I really could. Um, so it, it's, it's being gentle and knowing that the, the stuff that you need to know is going to help. Totally. And I, I love that point that you made. It's so important. I, I, you know, there are plenty of times when I'm at a birth and I say, hold on, let me look up spinningbabies.com because yeah, I'm totally. <laughs> that I think we could do, but I don't totally know. And I just did that a few months ago with a client where I just said, let me look this up. Let's do this together. And we did. And it worked, actually. The baby moved from posterior to anterior. And I literally had my right. phone out, and I'm reading from the website, and I'm saying, okay, I've done this a few times, but let's try it this way. And we did. And it was helpful, you know? Yeah. I still look up mm-hmm. stuff at, like, every birth. <laughs> There's always mm-hmm. something that either I can't remember or I've never heard of before, and I'm either texting somebody or Googling. Like, yeah. it's, just, it's part of the work. Exactly. Okay, well, um, does that does that help at all, Jenny? Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah, great. Okay, you guys, well, we will um, be in touch. And, um, you know, if anything comes up, feel free to reach out to me or to each other. Um, I, I, remember, I just want to make an... Uh, a, I saw there was a post about setting up um, kind of like accountability partners. I think that's totally great. If you guys want to do that, go for it. Um, You know, I I think it's just every group will do different things within their own circle. So if you guys want to do that, you know, I think that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever whatever works for for each person, really. Right. Thank you. Thanks, Emma. Thanks, you guys. Have a great day, and I'll be in touch soon. Bye, Bye. everyone. Take care. Bye. Bye. Bye, Bye, everybody. Miss you guys. Bye. Miss you, love you, bye. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.